Today's scripture is Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, reason the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out and meet Ahaz, you and Shirzebub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of reason in Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God. It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is reason. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen. I was uh, 16 years old and I was in the first week of 10th, 10th grade chemistry. I remember it clear as day. I was sitting next to one of my good friends. I remember the teacher's name. His name was Mr. Benzinger, and uh, he was a good teacher, a really nice guy. But during that week, as we are going over formulas and, and um, he's starting out teaching chemistry, it dawned on me, I think maybe perhaps for the first time, that some things in this world are really hard. <laughs> Chemistry, <laughs> brothers and sisters, is hard. <laughs> it was hard for me. I, I didn't get it. I was confused most of the week, most of the time. And we're not going to talk about what grade I got in that class. <laughs> Thank the Lord for his mercy and for his grace. I'm here today. So this world... It is full of hard things. Chemistry is hard. Uh, for some of us, uh, maybe chemistry is easy, but calculus is hard and difficult. Learning another language when you have only known one language your, your whole life is another thing that is not easy. For some, learning to ride a bike is not easy. It's, a, it's difficult. Listen to me, playing golf at a high level, consistently, is harder than it looks on TV. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> Life is full of hard and difficult things. But I would suggest to you that one of the hardest things for people to do is to believe God. 
to believe God. Believing God is hard. Now, the crazy thing is on paper, it shouldn't be. Like, on paper, the 49ers should have beat the Chiefs. (laughs) On paper, it shouldn't be. Believing God shouldn't be hard. You see, because Yahweh's track record of coming through on behalf of his people throughout history is impeccable. We have a litany of accounts in the Bible that demonstrate that when God says something, when he makes a promise, he keeps it. And therefore, he should not be hard to believe. Brothers and sisters, God has receipts (laughs) regarding his track record. There is a testimony of Noah, right? God told Noah he was going to save he and his family from the floodwaters that were going to destroy the earth. And, and what did God do? He saved them. He did it, right? Who can forget Abraham and Sarah? God told them that they would have a son even in their old age. And God granted them Isaac. He told his people that they were going to be the possessors of a land flowing with milk and honey. And sure enough, the Lord blessed his people with the land of Canaan. God, you see, throughout history has proven himself over and over again that he is a God who can be believed. He is trustworthy. And yet, and yet despite This track record, it still remains one of the more difficult things to do. And how do I know it is difficult to believe God? The reason I know it's difficult for you and for me is because our lives are filled with worry. The reason you and I worry is because we don't believe God. We don't believe he can provide or meet our needs. We doubt what he says in Matthew 6 and 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither toil, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? In other words, God will provide. He always does. Unbelief is the source of our worry. But also, brothers and sisters, lack of belief is the source of doubt. It is the source of anxiety. And without question, worst of all, it is the ultimate source for our sin. For our sin. Why did Adam and Eve eat the tree in from the the fruit from the tree in the garden? Why did they do that? Because they didn't believe God. They didn't believe what he said. That's why they sinned. It is the source. The reason you and I sin is because we don't believe God. We don't believe what God says about sin. 
that, that sin, that it, it will take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay, and that, that it is sinister, that it is deceitful, that it, that it tastes pleasure, it's good for a little bit, but the end is destruction. We don't believe what God has to say about sin, but we don't believe also what he has to say about us, that on our best days, we are worse than we think we are, that we need help that we are sinful, needy beggars. We don't believe what he has to say about sin. We don't believe what he has to say about us. And ultimately, we disbelieve what he says about who he is, that he is a God full of mercy and grace, eager and ready to save sinners, that he is merciful, that, that his grace and his mercy is wide, is deep, and it's wide. He tells us all of this. You see, brothers and sisters, believing God or not believing God matters. This is the question people are faced with every day. Here's the question that we are faced with in various aspects of our lives. Will I believe God? That is the great question that confronts humanity. This question, it, it shows up throughout the scriptures, all throughout the scriptures, and guess what? It shows up in our text this morning. It shows up in our text. Last week, we looked at chapter 6, and we were introduced to King Uzziah. It was a brief intro because his name is brought up in reference to the call of Isaiah, you do remember. It was at the death of King Uzziah that, that Isaiah went into the temple and he saw the glory of the Lord. He was left undone and was called into his service. We remember that, right? That's what we learned last week. Well, this week we are introduced to another king, King Ahaz who is the grandson of King Uzziah and the father of the well-known king Hezekiah. After King Uzziah died, we learn of this in 2 Kings 16. Now, you got to go back to your homework, but I'm going to give you an overview. 2 Kings 16, that his son Jotham took the throne. Now, Jotham was a good king like his father Uzziah, but despite being a good king, he failed to end the pagan worship that was running rampant in the nation, perhaps a little foretelling of what was ahead, because Jotham soon died, and his son, King Ahaz, who was the subject of our text this morning, took the throne at 20 years old, and we read this. In 2 Kings 6 and 2, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. Ahaz, you see, was not a good king. And the reason for his sin Laden rain, we will see in our text, has to do with the question, 
he is confronted with. The question he is confronted with is, will he believe God? Will he believe him? As we have noted in our study thus far through Isaiah, that we've noted that Isaiah was a prophet to the nation, but he was also a prophet to the kings of the nation. He would speak to the leaders of the southern kingdom on behalf of God, and this morning we will see that he was sent to Ahaz with a word from the Lord. The word would come in response to fear that had come upon Ahaz and the people of God in the southern kingdom. Look at verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 7. When the house of David was told that Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. What we learn, again, you got to follow me, there's some, there, there, there's some background here that we need to understand. What we learn is that the northern kingdom that is often referred to as Israel and Ephraim joined, they decided that they were going to join forces with another nation named Syria. And they are making plans now to uh, attack Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. So the northern kingdom of Israel is aligning with Syria and they're going to come and they are going to attack the southern kingdom. The belief is that they want to come and attack the southern kingdom so that they can destroy Ahaz and set up a king that they want to see on the throne. We can only make assumptions, but it seems that they wanted to do this in order to create a united front against the Assyrians. You see, everybody was scared of the Assyrians. And so it's like, we got to join up, y'all. We got to link up. The Assyrians are coming. But Ahaz didn't want any part of this alliance. He wanted no part of this alliance. And Syria and Ephraim were going to come and say, no, no, we're going to make you be part of this alliance. Ahaz and the people of Jerusalem, however, knew that they were no match, no match for this alliance between the northern kingdom and Syria. And that is why he was afraid. In his mind, his, his, his reign, his, his kingship was ended. In his mind, The the southern kingdom was all but finished. So he was scared. He was afraid. Fear, that powerful emotion, has been a constant theme in our trek through Isaiah, hasn't it? But what also is true about our trek through Isaiah and is the testimony of Scripture is that God is there to meet his people in their fear. He meets us in our fear. Look at what he tells Isaiah. Isaiah 7 and 3. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sher-Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Do you notice the compassion 
the compassionate character of God here on display. Ahaz is fearful, literally shaking in his boots because his kingship is about to be taken from him and and the the, the nation in, in the southern kingdom is about to be destroyed. He is shaking in his boots. And you know what? The Lord sees him. He knows and he sends his prophet to him to meet him with a word of comfort. Now, did you notice God doesn't wait for Ahaz to come to him? He doesn't wait for Ahaz to come to him. God takes the initiative. Because he's initiative taking God. He comes first. This isn't you take two steps and then God will take one or you take one step and God takes two. No, God initiates this this word to Isaiah, to, to Ahaz. Has, there, has, has someone ever brought you a word you didn't know you needed until they brought it? <laughs> that wasn't them bringing that word. That was God taking the initiative to come to you, to meet you in your time of need, even before you were even thinking of him. This is the nature of the God we encounter in the scriptures. One who is not ignorant of the situations and circumstances that have our attention or that are weighing heavy on our heart. And sometimes you, you, you just, you go about your business. Ahaz is going about trying to figure out how he's going to deal with this assault that's coming. And you're not even thinking, he's not even thinking about God. But God sends takes the initiative and sends a word to him. He does that. He does that. This is the nature of the God we encounter in the scriptures. He moves towards us before we even move toward him. Listen to his actions in Exodus 2, 23 and 24. During many days, the king of Egypt died And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. They were just crying out for help. Their their cry for rescue from slavery. What did it do? It came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God moved towards his people. The Lord saw Ahaz's fear and he moved towards him. This is the grace and kindness of God. This is mercy. This is mercy on display. Because remember, we've already said that Ahaz was a wicked king. (laughs) Remember, the threat of this military action against Jerusalem is part of the judgment coming to them because of the sin. The Lord was under no obligation to send a word of comfort to Ahaz. But he did. He is gracious and merciful in that regard. In fact, if you look at the scriptures, when God's people are fearful, he always meets them with a word. Whether it was Joshua about to lead the people into the promised land or or, or Jairus' 
Jairus, as he gets word that his daughter has just, just died, or, or the disciples in the midst of a storm while on a rickety boat. Each time, God met them with a word, and it is the same word that Ahaz was given, and here is the word, do not fear. Do not fear. Look at verse 4. Be careful. Isaiah says to Ahaz, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Keep calm, Ahaz. Do not fear. This is the word from the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. It's not, listen, this is not Isaiah's word. That is important, an important point to notice. When you hear the word, do not fear, that is the word from God to his people. It is not the preacher who says, do not fear, that brings the weight of it, right? It is not your friend telling you do not fear. When you hear that, that command comes with the full weight and authority of Almighty God. He tells him, do not fear. But Isaiah also says, keep calm. Keep calm. We have talked about this, that fear breeds the desire not to just worry, but to take matters into our own hands. The temptation you see for Ahaz as king was to come up with a political strategy. Oh, they've joined forces? Okay, I've got to now come up with a political strategy to try to figure my, my way out of these things, to, to fix this predicament that I, that I found myself in. Not only was this a, a temptation, it seems that Ahaz has found his option. Rather than joining Ephraim and Syria in their alliance, he was thinking about creating an alliance with the Assyrians. Wait a second, you say those are the ones that are attacking. Yes, he's like, hey, if I can't beat them, I might as well join them. And that's what's going through the mind of Ahaz. His stated enemies, he was ready to join forces with. This is the dilemma Ahaz was facing. So this word that Isaiah was delivering to him was specific. Hey, Ahaz, stop taking matters into your own hands. Stop working. Stop trying to solve the problem. Keep calm, Ahaz. Don't do a thing. Be still. Be still, Ahaz, and know that I am God. That's what he is saying. Now, as someone, I'm speaking about Philip, as someone who wants and likes fixing problems, doing nothing doesn't ever sit well with me. <laughs> I can only think, can only think it didn't sit well with Ahaz either. This is real. I can almost imagine what Ahaz is thinking. Isaiah, are you, are you telling me to, me to keep calm? 
keep, keep calm? Do, do nothing? Are, are you serious? They are threatening to destroy us. We are about to die. I'm no longer going to be king. God's people are going to be wiped up, wiped out. Oh, brothers and sisters, doing nothing when you have received a word that pending danger is ahead is not easy. It's difficult. And one of the commentaries, especially, especially, this is difficult, especially if you are king, if you are leader. One of the commentaries on the difficulties of leadership that gets proven to me over and over again is this. One of the hardest parts of leadership is doing or saying nothing when everyone around you thinks you need to do or say something. That is hard. (laughs) Thank you, brother. I, I, I don't mind saying it again because when I heard it, it took a while to sink in, but it is real. One of the hardest parts of leadership is doing or saying nothing when everyone around you thinks you need to do or say something. This is the crisis I have to imagine Ahaz was wrestling with as he received the word from the Lord, from Isaiah. The Lord is telling me to do nothing when everyone and everything in my being is telling me that I've got to do something about this problem. It's at this point, Ahaz was confronted with the question, will I believe God? Will I believe God? But here's the deal. God didn't just tell him to fear not. He told him why he ought not to fear and accompanied his word of comfort with a promise, a promise, Isaiah 7 and 7. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. It is helpful at this point to remember that the promises of God are not suggestions. He keeps his word. He is faithful to carry out what thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, it shall not stand. Just look at God's promise at the Red Sea. You remember the account? The people are on the banks of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is bearing down behind them. The Red Sea is before them. We have a situation, Moses. What are we going to do? And God says, hey, hey, Moses, Moses, tell the people this. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For you the Egyptian whom you see today, you shall never see again. Brothers and sisters, we know our Bibles. Did God keep that promise? Yes. God, in a sense, is saying the same thing to Ahaz. Ahaz would have known of this. And lacing it with a similar promise. Ahaz, stand still. Keep calm. Watch how I care for you. I'm going to save you and my people. The reason Ahaz didn't need to fear and didn't need to do anything was because Ephraim and Syria were not going to attack. That's the point. It's not going to stand. It's not going to happen. Whatever they have planned, it is not going to come to pass. Now, I want you to note, 
This is not something that God thinks is not going to happen. <laughs> this is something he knows is not going to happen. Because nothing happens that does not pass through first through his hands. This was the promise that Ahaz received from God. But there was a stipulation that came with the promise. Ahaz needed to believe God. He needed to trust him by obeying his voice to do nothing but stand firm. In other words, he needed to do the opposite of the popular sign, keep calm and carry on. Right? We've seen the sign, we've seen it on our shirts, see it on billboards, keep calm and carry on. No, no, don't carry on, Ahaz. Keep calm and believe God. Keep calm and believe God. I know this was the word for Ahaz, but this is a word for all of God's people. This is what the Lord would have us to do with every stressful, distressing situation of life. We too can hold on to the comfort of Isaiah 41 and 10. Fear not. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Oh, brothers and sisters, what's gripping your heart today? I know we all got something. That's just burdening us, weighing us down. It's, grip, it's gripping our hearts. What is causing you to doubt the promises of God? What areas are you busy trying to fix rather than being still and knowing that he is God? We are all like Ahaz, confronted with the question, will I? Can I? Can I believe God in this and you know what we fail to take into consideration? What we fail to take into consideration when we ask a question like this is, what happens if I don't believe God? Ahaz didn't need to wonder or speculate on the answer to that question. God told him in Isaiah 7 and 9, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In other words, Ahaz, if you don't trust in God, you are building your house on sinking sand. And what does Jesus tell us about the woman or man who builds their house on sinking sand? It gets destroyed when the rain comes. Ahaz, if you don't, if you don't, if you do not stand on God's promise, then you won't be standing because you won't be around. <laughs> You're going to be done away with. Believe God, Ahaz, and it will go well. Do not believe, and you will not experience the promises of God. Seems straightforward enough. Seems straightforward enough. But what did we say? It's hard to believe God. But here is the amazing thing about God. We just forget, we don't realize how merciful he is and how kind he is. He not only gives Ahaz a promise, he gives him a sign. 
a sign to confirm and solidify that promise. This is amazing. God confirms his promise, his promises with signs. This is how he works. He promised that he would not destroy, again, destroy the earth with water. And he gave Noah a sign, the sign of what? A a rainbow to, to solidify and confirm that promise. He promised Abraham that he was going to have descendants that outnumbered the the stars in the sky, and he confirmed that promise with the sign of circumcision. He also made a promise to David. And this promise to David is linked to our text. It's linked to our text. Do not miss that. God promised David that his throne would last forever. And the sign would be that there would always be a king in his line on the throne. Whose line was King Ahaz in? You guessed it. The line of David. The line of David. All Ahaz would need to do was to look to his own kingship to see how faithful God had been to his promises. He had a sign already. He just just had to look at his own kingship. Look at your own life and recall all the wonderful promises that the Lord has already answered. Look to his own. All he had to do was look to his own kingship to see how faithful God was. But here's the deal. God is even just so gracious and merciful. He was willing to give Ahaz another sign. Another sign. And uh, Ahaz, again, we just see his, we see his wickedness on display, we, but we see our own selves in Ahaz, too. Despite Ahaz telling Isaiah that he didn't want a sign, right? God says, hey, hey, Ahaz, ask for a sign. It could be as high as heaven, as low as you, whatever you need to know that I can believe, ask it and I'll give it to you. And Ahaz says, I'm good. I don't need a, need a sign. Now, this might sound like a, like a pious response, right? Like, oh, I, I, I don't need a sign to believe you. No, no, this is not Ahaz. What, what is telling about Ahaz is that his answer tells us that he didn't want to believe God. He had already made up his mind. He didn't need, enough, he didn't need a sign. He had already made up his mind. He was ready to join with the Assyrians. He was not going to believe God. But God was going to give him a sign anyway. (laughs) Isaiah 7 and 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God in Isaiah was pointing to the one who would confirm the ultimate promise of God to save his people. Namely, the birth of Jesus. Hold on, sorry. Now, the temptation, right, when we hear, the temptation when we hear Isaiah 7 and 14 that I just read, 
is to race to Matthew, right? That, that's what we find, that he will have, we find fulfillment in Jesus. The, the temptation would be to race to Matthew to help us interpret this verse and believe that the sign that Ahaz was given and, and to the people was, was the birth of Jesus. And it is. It is. This is an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. But we first need to understand it in its immediate context, in its immediate significance. The child to be born was going to confirm the promise God made to Ahaz and Judah. Namely, that God was going to save and continue to be with his people. This was going to be the purpose of the sign. The baby born, we are told, will grow up, and before he reached a certain age, the alliance between Syria and Ephraim would be no more because those kings would be wiped out. And the note that he should be called Emmanuel was to again signify that God would be with them. The baby born would be the sign. Ahaz, Judah, you need not worry or be afraid. Keep calm and believe God. He will do it. And he did it. He did it in their time, in immediate context. Look at Isaiah 8, 3 and 4. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Mar Shal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. This Isaiah's son, this is Isaiah's son who was born, would be the fulfillment of the sign. You, you see, Ahaz and Judah had no reason not to believe God. He'd given them a sign this baby born. But sadly, sadly, Ahaz didn't believe. He didn't believe God. He chose to form an alliance with the Assyrians. And the rest of chapter 7 details the judgment that was going to come upon Jerusalem because of this choice. You see, brothers and sisters, this chapter, this chapter, chapter 7, is about believing God and all the reasons we have to trust his word, right? The question is, question is, will I believe God? That's the question. This is the question that litters the pages of scripture. This is the question that confronts us in our everyday lives. So, so how, how, how about you? How about you? When, when life hits you, when, when fear grips your heart, are you going to keep calm and believe God or are you going to trust your own alliances and strategies? I know I said believing God is hard. But that doesn't mean we don't do it. In fact, like Ahaz, God leaves us without excuse. Brothers and sisters, he is a promise-keeping God. 
and the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 14. Now we get there. Now we get to Matthew. Is the ultimate sign that God can be believed. Matthew 1 and 21 through 23. Matthew gives us this. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God in Isaiah, listen, God in, this is beautiful. God in Isaiah is pointing to the one who would, who would confirm the ultimate promise of God to save his people, namely the birth of Jesus. The physical presence of Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus would be born to go to the cross and to put an end to our greatest enemies, namely sin and death. Two enemies far more powerful and far, far more destructive than Syria and Ephraim. And therefore, and therefore, the fulfillment of the promise of a virgin giving birth foretold in Isaiah is what enables you and I today, today and every day, to keep calm and believe God. You, you see in that? You can believe his promise to save you and be with you. He has always, God has always kept this promise to his people. And there, there is nothing, there is nothing in this world in the end that will destroy you if you are trusting, standing on the promises of God to save you. Nothing, nothing can cause him to leave you. Did you hear what I said? Nothing can cause him to leave you. Paul says it this way in Romans 8 and 38. For, for, for I am sure of this, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now listen, I know we read that on the screen, but when life hits us, when fear raises up in our hearts, that is hard to believe. It's hard to believe. And yes, at times, it really is. But brothers and sisters, just because it is hard doesn't mean you can't. Don't. Don't take matters into your own hands. You know what you need to do? You need to cry out like the, like the man in, in Mark 9 who says, Hey, hey Lord, I, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Help me to see and believe that if you've said it, then it's done. If you have said it, Lord, then it is done. Did God say he would never leave you nor forsake you? Then believe it. It's done. Did he say he would forgive you? He would forgive you. Then believe it. It's done. Did he say that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Did he say it? Then it is done. Did he say no weapon formed against you would prosper? Then believe it. 
it is done. Did he promise to go and prepare a place for you and come back and take you to where he is? Then believe it, brothers and sisters. It is done. It is done. If God has said it, then I believe it. It's done. Now, brothers and sisters, as we navigate the ups and downs of this world, don't worry. Do not fear. Do not take matters into your own hands. It's just one thing we're called to do. Keep calm and believe God. Let's pray.